good morning. Everybody pick their bag lunch up when you come in today? Anybody? When you turn to Psalms 18, you're going you're gonna to understand why you should have brought your lunch, because it's 50 verses today. One of the longer Psalms, I'm just kidding, they're not going to be any longer. And uh, I'll take care of your bladders and your kids and everything, but I do want us to hit the high spots today of this wonderful Psalm. It's a uh, we're going to start off with a, some beautiful words. So if you got Psalms 18, stand with me to your feet. What a way to start the Psalms. Psalms 18. We'll just read the first few verses. I love you. O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock. In whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So Lord, as we look at this text this morning, your word, Lord, I, I can't even... Lead your people out beyond the breakers this morning. We don't have the time of the ocean of the beauty of the depth of this text. But Lord, as we just go out just a few inches into this text, Lord, would you wash over us what you want us to see, what you want us to learn, what you want us to apply today? Oh God, it is my prayer that you would move your people out of survival mode into victory. Lord, I believe this is your will for us, your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So as you open up the text and look at it, one of the keys to understanding it before we dive into it is to understand it is a thanksgiving psalm. That's the point of this psalm. We've been learning, and I hope you've been learning, that these psalms are not just haphazardly put together. They're put together in a particular way and a particular reason for a particular purpose. There are actually five books in Psalms and they're all put together in a certain way to teach us something. And so Psalms 18 is after Psalm 17 for a reason. We go from lament to thanksgiving. And so your notes has a typo on it this morning. That's on me. It should have said 2 Samuel, not, not Psalms there. So if you want to turn, that's fine. I'm going to turn a couple times um, today, but I'm trying to keep us in Psalms as much as possible. I want us to understand the context, though, because that's critical to understanding the main point. Second Samuel 22 and 23. So here's what we can learn, that Psalms, the Second Samuel 22 is almost exactly identical to Psalms 18. And now look with me at chapter 23. What does the heading over 2 Samuel 23 say? It says the last words of David. So this helps us understand sort of the context and the structure of this, where it happens in the time of his life. David has is, is lived a long life, and he is reflecting on his life, on what has happened. You can even see it in the subtitle of back in Psalms of, what has happened with Saul and his deliverance and all of his enemies around him within and without. We're going to see that today 
He's lived a long life. He's reflecting. And he's bringing, he wants to bring God's people to thanksgiving. Remember Psalms 17? Look at verse 13. Remember this lament had turned on a dime last week. When, when David said, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. So all of a sudden, he turns on from, God, I'm going to climb under your wings. I want you to protect me. And to when he, he pierced his head out from underneath his wings and said, God, you confront them. And he's come to the end of his life, and he wants you to know, and he wants them to know that God has done just that. He showed up with power in David's life, and he not only delivered him, he gave him the victory. He wants us to worship today. That's what he longs for. He longs for God's people to remember and give thanks that the rock of Israel responded in power. So look with me at verse 1. Very rare word here. This word love here in this psalm. It means mercy and compassion. So he's saying he's responding from the mercy and compassion that he's received from Yahweh. This is based off experience. This is intimacy based off experience. I love you. This can literally be translated, you are the one who strengthens me. Remember, this is important to context. He's the king. He's the man on the top of the totem pole. He has people who can serve him. He has thousands at his beck and call. And yet he gets to the end of his life. And he calls one person his rock. And he says, I could not have done it without my Lord. He's the king. The most powerful man says, I've took shelter under God. And anything good that has happened in my life, all my thriving, all my growing, is God. It's because God has given me the strength. It's because God has given it to me. And so he piles on the metaphors here right from the beginning. Six metaphors. Uses rock twice in here, two different words. The first rock here we see in these first couple verses is a boulder. It's a large rock. So this is what you stand on to defend yourself, to fight. His fortress, a place that can't be conquered. He says God is his rock again. This could mean my mountain. Shield, some of your versions might even say buckler. It's a small round, it's a defensive weapon. God's the horn of my salvation. That's just a metaphor for strength. The horns of a bull. It's his stronghold. He's been his place of safety his whole life. So he piles on all of these metaphors and couches them with two non-metaphors. God is my deliverer. He's the one I take refuge in. Those are important because they are both offensive and defensive. That's what we've been looking at as far as your refuge. This is what Jesus claimed to be. Remember Matthew 7, 25? Jesus said, everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat down and, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. The rock there is Petra. It's bedrock. That's Christ. He's the foundation. He's the bedrock. And here's what he says. I call on the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. So he's telling us right from the start. The point of this, all of these verses that I'm about to get into and reflect on my life is worship. He's worthy to be praised. He repeats this word rock over and over. Here's what he said, you know. I thought I was dead. This is how he starts. 
Look at verse 4, 4 to 6. I thought I was dead. The corns of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. I was as good as dead, but I called. He heard. It says in verse 6, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry reached his ears. You ever tried to call the doctor? Try that Monday. Call the doctor and said, You know, I just got a couple concerns. Won't take but a minute. Can I speak to the doctor? You're not going to get the doctor. Here's what he said. I called out. The father listened himself. He heard himself. And he responded. 7 to 15. The Lord responds in power. Visible power. Listen to what he says. Then, it's important, that's your connecting word. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundation of the mountains trembled. The earth quaked because he was angry. Spurgeon says this, Prayer has rung the doorbell and the master of the house has risen to rescue. Our God has heard and he has risen and he is not happy. Here's what he, that's what he's saying. Remember Psalm 17, 8? I am the apple of God's eye. The apple of God's eye has cried out to his father and when he comes, an earthquake comes with him. Verse 7, we see this earthquake in verse 8, almost a volcano kind of. There's power. That means destruction. But when the Father comes, he says he's setting the world ablaze. Verses 9 to 12, he gets this, he paints a picture of, a, of an intense thunderstorm. Here's the picture. When God comes to rescue him, he's saying, He's ripping open the sky as if ripping open a curtain and he's stepping down into my situation to rescue me. So, has David said when God showed up he really did see an earthquake and lightning and those things? You know, I think to some degree, and David uses imagery and metaphors as we just got through and sometimes hyperbole to make a point. But remember, David's not really thinking like you and me. We oftentimes think individualistic. But David, you see, is a covenant man. He's thinking covenantally his whole life. This is part of what he's doing. And so if we think about this, in the context of God's covenant people reflecting, Think about what happened when God's people were delivered in the Exodus. Think about the plagues. Think about what happened when God, when God showed up on Mount Sinai and the earthquake and the lightnings come down and people, God said, get away. We don't even want to look at that. Remember Joshua 10 when God rained down hell and it said more were killed that day by the hell than by the sword of God's people. When God's people went across on the Red Sea, and what happened? Covered them over. The Egyptians drowned. You see, I don't think we think about this enough. The, the deliverance of your fathers is actually your deliverance. As God's covenant people. David's saying, just like God has delivered, showed up in power in Egypt, and just like he showed up on Sinai, so he has showed up in my life. He has showed up in power. And listen, we need to worship Him because He has delivered us. That's what He's saying. The rock of Israel showed up in power and faithfulness delivered me. This is very personal, Thanksgiving. 
the rock delivered me. Listen to this. Verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many rotters. He rescued me, verse 17, for they were too mighty for me. This is personal. This is divine. Look at the word. You see that he drew me out? That's Exodus 2 language. Moses being drawn out of the, of the river Nile so they would not perish. Why? Because he could not save himself. He's saying that was me. David might be the king, but he's saying the reason that God showed up in my life is because I was too weak to save myself. I couldn't. I like this. I love this. Look at verse 19. It says, He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Now that's good for all kinds of reasons. But just look at the word. You see the word broad? That broad place? You know what that word means? Roomy. Roomy. What? Of all the things. He brought me into a broad place. What is he remembering? Well, you see, when Saul was chasing him, the cave wasn't that roomy. Couldn't call room service. They didn't deliver Pizza Hut, whoever, Domino's, didn't deliver there. It wasn't comfortable. Here's what he's remembering. God brought me from the cave to the throne. He's remembering that. Why? Look at the text. This is awesome today. You just need to sit back and receive this as God's covenant people. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Period. He delighted in me. He rescued me. He took me from the cave to the throne. He also is bringing up another point. This is important. There's a second reason why he said he rescued me here. It's in verses 20 to 29. There is a life principle here that David is simply teaching you and his people that he lived by. Verse 20 and 21. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. This could literally simply be saying, I have obeyed everything he showed me to do. Here's what he means. The words, the character, and the actions of God are ever before me, and I have sought my life to be conformed by them. He's not saying that the righteous will always prosper, because it didn't work out for Job. It's, it's for sure he's not claiming sinless perfection here. It means that if we do this, we're always going to do the right thing all the time. There's a principle. He's teaching us a proverbial principle. It's this. When we live for God, when we try to go His way, He cares for us and He blesses us. When we go our own way, we bring misery and destruction on ourselves. This is the principle. And so he would look at David and Bathsheba as proof of that principle. We use it to say to try to prove he's not sinless. David never claimed he was sinless. David would use that as an illustration of the misery and destruction he brought on himself when he did not follow God's way. So he looks back on his life and says, I live by this principle. I followed God's way. I followed his word. I'm going to see that next week. But he turns right back around, verse 29, and get back to deliverance. 
Yahweh's power. And yet he, now he's going to twist it. He's going to get to the, what I want us to think about this morning. Verse 29. For by you I can run against the troops. For, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Now this is the interactive part of the sermon. Who's running against the troops? Somebody talk to me. If you don't talk to me, we're not going to get to the application. Who, who's, who's running? David. Who's leaping over the wall? How is he leaping over the wall? Right there. God's strength. By you, I can... Listen, that's about as much a sovereignty and responsibility that we can get to. God gave him the strength. He jumped through it. This is the picture. Now we're, now we're fighting. The picture is, you've seen it, the military lines up in a, in a defensive and you've got to try to break through that. Could even mean breaking through a wall here. He says, by God's strength, I broke through their walls of defense against me. Their fortress was no match for my God because he gave me the strength and I went through the wall. That's what he's saying. And so to understand this from the rest of the time and what he's leading us to worship, you've got to have your armor on this morning or you're not going to see it. You've got to go back and read Ephesians 6.10-18. to 18, Put on the armor of God and fight. He wants to, us to reflect on the divine. You see, when we reflect on the divine, we want to be faithful like him. Listen to this, verse 30. I'm going to read six verses. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made me blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trained my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand supported me. Your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place where my steps came to me. My feet did not slip. We go from this God to my God. Who is like this God? My God. He's our God. I want you to see one word here. It's probably the most impactful word for me this week as I've studied. It's verse 32. The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. That word equipped, it's not the same equipping that we read in Ephesians and the places in Scripture. You've you got to think about the belt of truth with that equipping. This is to be surrounded. It is to be wrapped up. He says, God has wrapped me up with his strength like strapping on that belt of truth. He surrounded me. Verse 33, shod my feet. I can run. I can climb. I can stand securely and fight because of what God has done. He gave me strength. Look at verse 34. He trained me to fight. I'm fighting. Is, did David have to fight in his life? Yes. He's saying, I, I didn't fight with my own strength. These victories weren't my victories. They're only my victories because of him. 
trained me to fight. Listen, here's the point. Verse 36 goes to it again. David is not hiding in the caves anymore. He's walking in the plains and the gardens and he's free because God has delivered him. We need to stop and praise God because we are not living under the spirit of fear anymore but of power, love, and a sound mind. And you wouldn't be doing it if God hadn't delivered you from it. So we all need to pause. Yahweh is saying, Yahweh has delivered me. It's what David is saying. Yahweh has not only delivered me. That's it. Yahweh has not only given me escape. He's given me victory. Listen, don't stop with escape this morning. David said, I will praise Yahweh because the rock of Israel brought victory to me. David's in awe. That's what he is. He's in awe. As he reflects on his life and says, I was a shepherd, then a fugitive, now the king. Oh, how I must worship my God. You would put to bed much of the trifling selfishness in your life if you would simply pause and remember what God has done in your life. You didn't do it. He's a victorious king, yes, but he is so because God has brought him to victory. He he comes back to this word again. Look at verse 39. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. And you have made those who rise against me sink under me. This is the text I want you to get today. This is the verse. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to see this. He says, for you equipped me. You surrounded me. You wrapped me up in strength. Why? For the battle. God didn't mean for us to simply, for David to live in the cave all of his life. He's now saying, God has given me refuge then, but now God has wrapped me in strength for the battle. God calls us, to the pastors and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? Ministry is simply serving. He said, he, he tells me to equip you to do the work of ministry. Why? Because it is in the work of ministry that we experience the battle. And if you're not doing it, you're not experiencing it. David's looking at 39 and 40, and he's saying, as Tripp said in the book, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, that he has simply been an instrument all his life of God's redeeming hand, fulfilling his covenant promises to his people. And simply for that reason, we should worship him. God does not mean for you to spend your life in survival mode, hiding in a cave, but to live. To live is to fight. It is in the fighting that David experienced God's delight and his strength. And if you're not in the fight, you won't experience it. You're not supposed to step in front of King Jesus one day and say, I survived. He said, I lived for you. David says, I experienced not partial victory, I experienced holistic victory. Look at verse 43 and 45. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. 
People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortress. What is he saying? Anybody want to be honest in here? You ever been to a really bad church members meeting or current conference? You ever been to a really bad one? Yeah. I didn't see somebody could chuckle. They said, oh, I've been to one. I can remember. It's still stuck in my head. You ever had bad, bad problems within the family? Uh-huh. We all have. You're lying if you say no. <laughs> You're in bad shape if you say no. Your family's in worse shape than you thought. Here's, here's what David's saying. Listen, I had problems within. Absalom, remember <laughs> Oh, I know about family problems. I know about having people who simply would not listen to their rulers and their leaders. That God gave me victory over a rebellious people. And not only that, look, he's made me head of nations. This is nations, that's the Gentiles around him. Here's what he said. Because my God made a covenant promise to me, the most powerful nations in the world now submit to me. My God is faithful. David's the king over a mighty empire at this point of his reflection. You want to see some of it? 2 Samuel 8. And here's what verse 14 says in 2 Samuel. The Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. David says, everywhere I go, God gives them into my hands. They come out of their fortresses saying, we give up. We'll pay you. So what is he saying? Because of that. That's worship. That's worship. The rock of Israel deserves the praise of all people. He comes right back to this. Verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock. The exalted be the God of my salvation. He is not saying right there. That does not mean long live the Lord. That's not an homage to, to someone of, of higher in a higher position of authority. It's not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the Lord lives. He's saying that is a cry of confidence of a living God who constantly acts on behalf of his people. Our God is living. He is active. And so blessed simply means to praise him. Your worship is all you got. What shall you give the Lord other than your life as a pleasing sacrifice? We praise Him. Where? Look at the verse 49. Where are we going to praise Him? Look, what does the text say? For this I will praise you among what? The nations and sing to your name. Who are the nations? The Gentiles. The unbelieving. This has always been the point. From Abraham to David to Jesus. I'm going to praise you among the Gentiles, among the unbelieving. This is what Paul means in Romans 15. You need to see this. He had this, he had this text in mind. Romans 15. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, 
Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Listen to me today. We are here today as Gentiles praising God for his mercy because God is faithful to keep his covenant promises. You are here today. That should bring you to your knees or to your feet. That you are here today because God kept his promise to David. He kept his promise to Abraham. That one day the Gentiles might praise you for his mercy because Christ came. Preached the gospel. Paul could say now the Gentiles have the gospel. And now they can praise him for his mercy. Victory is never about self-glory. It is always about God's mission. Because mission is where God gets the most glory. How else will the nations be glad in Christ if we don't take them the good news? And so he caps off the Psalms in verse 50. Great salvation be to bring his king and show steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Because God has been faithful to the people in the past, because he has been faithful to me in the present, he will be faithful in the future. This is a beautiful verse to catch on the very theme of the first 41 chapters of Psalms. It says God promised David a covenant to be the anointed king, and look what happened. He is. Just as he said. Here's the question this morning. So what? What will be your declaration of thanksgiving to God? One day. We will wheel you in somewhere. And you will go to meet your God. And we will wheel you in and put you before your family. And I want you to think about the last funeral you went to. What did that pastor, that preacher, say was the thanksgiving of praise if it was not your life? Wasn't their life that they reached into or that they, didn't, they couldn't reach into? I'd like to tell you that God's going to let you grow old and you're going to have an opportunity like David to sit back in your old age and reflect on God's faithfulness and, and teach your children as you breathe your last breath to be faithful to God and to trust Him, but you're not promised tomorrow. One of us could go to meet our Jesus before this service is over. I'm asking you, what is your thank prayer, declare, declaration of thanksgiving to God today? I could be planning your funeral in three days. Does your children, does your grandchildren know what your declaration of thanksgiving to God is? Or are you simply surviving? Living in the cave because the cave has become comfortable. I want to point you to Jesus today. Do you remember Luke 4.21 when Jesus stood up in front of God's people and he opened up the scroll? He opened up the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And it said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint heart, and they shall be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Jesus rolled up that scroll and said, Today that word has been fulfilled in your ears. This is what Christ came to accomplish. How is, how is Jesus accomplishing these in your life today? When is the last time you paused and reflected on the rock and your deliverer? Listen to me, the response to our faithful God is always faithfulness. It is an indictment on the church that faithfulness in His body of Christ is in such high demand when we have such a faithful God. I've thought about this. Will I be able to say what Paul said in 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not only for me, but for all those who love his appearing. Can I ask you a question this morning? Does that sound like Paul is surviving to you? That he's merely surviving, peering out of the cave every once in a while to look at the sunset and going back to the comfortable He's in prison. He's about to get his head cut off. And he's fighting. He's saying, listen, these guys wouldn't have heard the gospel if I wouldn't have been in here. I don't know about you today, brothers and sisters. But I will not step in front of my king with floaties on looking for the kiddie pool. But as a warrior with my armor on, well used, looking for a place for peace and rest, because it does not exist this side of eternity. We will have it when we get to heaven. The victory is ours. But listen, today is the day of not only salvation. If you are a believer, today is the day when we must fight. Our declaration of thanksgiving must be to declare the gospel to the nations. We declare our God to the nations. Remember Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let me ask you, based on that text, when will you experience the Holy Spirit's power, if it is not why you're on mission. This is what he's saying. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and this is the promise. You will be my witnesses. Could it be that it is when we step out on mission for God that we experience his strength, we experience his greatest delight? Listen, I'll show you my clock here. 35 minutes. Doing pretty good. Right? I'll be all right. Will you listen to me for just a few more minutes? I just want to give you some practical things. How you can start living. 
to start this tomorrow. I want to ask you if you will leverage your home for the gospel. Listen, I know most of us don't have much. That's okay. God's given us Him. we got enough, right? But if you've got a home, you can leverage it for the gospel. When's the last time someone in this congregation ate at your house? My cell number's on my business card. Just saying, believers, unbelievers, leverage your home. We are not like a family. We are a family. You shouldn't have a problem with one of my, with me or someone else coming into your home. God has given it to you, not for your comfort, but for His glory. Are you leveraging it? Are you asking believers or unbelievers to come into your home and share a meal with you? Are you leveraging your job? Listen, everybody eats lunch. And your boss should be giving you a break every two or three hours too. It's the law. So if he, if he gives you a lunch break, if he gives you time to take a break, listen, put this thing down. There's souls around you. Your job was not given to you so you can add another zero on your W-2. It's not. He's given it to you to leverage it for the gospel. You are where you are because of the mission of God. And it is your thanksgiving of praise to leverage it for His glory. Move towards those who don't look like you, who don't act like you, who do not smell like you. God's put them there for in your life for a reason. Show someone how to follow Jesus in your everyday. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that there are single women with multiple kids working in multiple jobs and you're already a mother. I had a woman ask me, she was more polite than this, but this is what she said, why in the world would you adopt two more kids at your age? What was my answer? Some kind of profound something? No. I simply said, I'm a daddy. I don't know how to do a lot of things, but I know how to be a daddy. So if I am a daddy and they don't have a daddy, why wouldn't I want to be a daddy? What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is leverage what God's given you for the glory of God. It's our thanksgiving of praise. Show somebody practically how to balance their checkbook, how to be a mother, how to be a man. God did not give you retirement to move to Florida and collect seashells. He didn't. He gave it to you to show young men how to be men. Prioritize your life around a small group of believers. Grow with them. Serve them. Enjoy them. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus could have used his three years of ministry doing anything he wanted to, and he lived life with a small group of messed up men. And so must we. Could it be that's where the joy is? Could it be that's where we get our strength? One thing you can do this week, show up Wednesday at 6.30 and help us give out backpacks to kids. And I mean this in love because I'm a pastor and I love you. If you keep making, making excuses every time someone gives an opportunity for evangelism, you're out of God's will. That's not optional for the Christian life. It is the Christian life. And could it be that those of us, us, 
that are, that are introverted, who get nervous when we share the gospel to someone we don't know? Could it be that that's where we might experience the greatest power and the greatest delight? I think so. It is in the fight that you experience God's strength and delight. So I ask you, will you put on your armor and fight with us? Come out of the cave. God has given you a promise of victory. He proved it with his son. Jesus is alive. The grave is empty. He's not living in there and neither are we. He's called us to live, brothers and sisters. Let us live. Let's pray together. So God, we have heard from a man who lived a full life, but not a perfect one. And yet we ultimately draw strength from the man who lived both a full and a perfect life. Though he died at 33, yet he lived forevermore. And so will we. God, I'm struck with this today. That my brothers and sisters here around me are eternally my brothers and sisters. We are experiencing just a glimpse here of something that will go on for eternity because of you. Because you are our God who's given us victory through your Son. So Lord, now would you receive our worship both now as we sing then as a minute as parents stand before you and before the congregation and, and enter into a covenant to fight the fight of faith. As we give and as we go, Lord, would you receive all of it as our thanksgiving of praise to you, our God. Receive our worship now. Jesus' name. Stand with me. You receive. Let's sing together.